The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Perfection for Domingo Herman. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, June 29th. Frank Stample joined by the Chris's Towers and the Welsh. Today on the show, yes, there was a perfect game. Not sure that you're going to enjoy the analysis of it, but we'll break it down. Ellie De La Cruz will talk about his trade value. Lots of drama in the Twitter world, so you know, <laughs> we'll try to address it and see where we come out. Uh, tough players to rank and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. If you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. You know the deal. There's only one place to start. Oh, my goodness. Gracious. Actually, before we actually talk about Domingo Herman, can we acknowledge that the Welsh is wearing the Oakland A's self shirt? <laughs> Just like so perfectly, the it, team that Domingo Herman throws the perfect game against. I love it. Frank, I, I was sitting here before, and I knew you'd put the tweet out, but then the perfect game was going, and I was sitting here, and I instantly had this reaction where I went, oh my God, I had a, a listener friend randomly send me and I just opened this box and I'm like, what is this green shirt? And it was a hat and it was the Oaklandish whatever hat. It was beautiful hat. And then it, I realized, oh, because my wife asked me, she's like, why do you have a shirt that says sell? And I'm like, oh, honey, you don't have time. Let me explain. And I had this beautiful sell shirt. I, when that pitch was caught and everyone was celebrating and you guys were probably all just getting excited. I ran downstairs, grabbed this <laughs> shirt, and I was like, I am 100% wearing the cell shirt on the show. So anyone watching on the video, which you should be on YouTube, this is why I have this big, bright lime green shirt, because what other team could be no hit by and perfect gamed by Domingo Herman than the Oakland future Las Vegas athletics or whatever their names will be. And let's start exactly there. Obviously, this is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. The 24th perfect game in MLB history. Domingo Herman at the Oakland A's, 27 up, 27 down, nine strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 99 pitches. 12 of those came on the curveball, which was 
obviously a devastating pitch for him today. And this is where the analysis is going to kind of flip oh, on its boy. head because <laughs> when you think about it from an actual fantasy perspective, how much does this one start mean, right? His previous two starts, he allowed 15 earned runs. And we went out and we told everyone to drop him. And for those wondering, the advice that we give you, at least for me, that's the advice that I live by. I had Domingo Herman in 12-team, head-to-head points, Tout Wars League. I dropped him. I dropped him this past week for Gavin Williams, who was pretty good too. But So I took the, my advice too. So if you're there kicking yourself, ah, I dropped Domingo Herman. he had a perfect game. I did the same thing. I dropped him. Towers, we'll start with you. Your fantasy analysis of Domingo Herman's perfect game. Do you want the serious analysis or the trolling analysis first? You want to get the trolling analysis out of the way? Can I vote troll? Can I start with troll and do it really like Mike smile and be like super happy and like make everybody happy real quick? (laughs) They're going to hate this. That sticky stuff was good tonight, boys. Uh, All right. Do you want the real analysis? Oh, man. Yeah, let's do do it. it. That sticky stuff was good tonight, boys. (laughs) Look, I don't like he lowered his ERA over the past three starts to 9.42. His ERA for the season stands at 4.54, I believe. His XERA is still right around five. He's giving up a lot of hard contact. He'll occasionally go through these stretches where he gets a lot of swings and misses, especially with his curveball. But overall, his strikeout rate is right around average. I, I don't think he's a particularly good pitcher. And the Yankees aren't such a good team anymore that it inflates his value. Like the one year that he had fantasy value, and even that year he had a 403 ERA, but he had 18 wins, so it made up for it. So I just, incredible accomplishment. I just, I don't think there's anything actionable here. Yeah, look, Domingo Herman, 65% rostered, so I think some people listened last week and they dropped him. Looks like he might be in line for two starts next week going up against the Baltimore Orioles and the Chicago Cubs. Both of those starts will be at home in Yankee Stadium. The problem with Domingo Herman, as we just witnessed over his last three starts, is that there is a lot of volatility. When he's on, he can look amazing, like he did on Wednesday night, but when he's off... He's really off, and he gives up a lot of fly balls, which can turn into home runs, and it can snowball out of control. So if you're someone who wants to take the shot on a volatile pitcher who could get you strikeouts, sure, that's something that Domingo Herman is good at, then yeah, you can consider him as a two-star pitcher next week against the Orioles and the Cubs. But as much as it is an amazing accomplishment, and I'm happy it came from my Yankees, whatever, to, uh, it, it doesn't really mean that much for fans. To paraphrase someone in my Twitter mentions, you weren't dropping David Price for Philip Humber in 2012. You know, like <laughs> David Domingo Ramon is probably is a better pitcher than Philip Humber, but perfect games are obviously a pitcher accomplishment. They are a team accomplishment as well, and they require a lot of things going right. This is something I've talked about with Luis Arias a lot lately, where like to hit, to even have a chance to hit 400, you've got to be an incredible hitter. You've also have have to have a lot of things go your way. And that's how a perfect game works as well. It's not to take anything away from him, but it's just to say that moving forward, this doesn't change how I view him. All right. Well, with that being said, well, so let's go over to your, Oh my goodness gracious player of the night, because it's another guy that we might be looking to pick up. Who is it? I hope not. By the way, I do think there is an actual, I just want to point out, I do think there is an actual item with Herman. Trade him. 
Like that, sure, you know, roster yeah, him I mean, and he did that. There's a fun actionable item. And since we want to move on, I was gonna like gaslight some stuff and be like, hey, let's talk about what the worst perfect game of all time was because I pulled up the list and everything like that. Maybe was it the worst and anything like that? Weak content. It's pretty crazy when you look at the start to the average uh, max or the average uh, exit velocity on the pitches uh, for the age was like 84 and 86 miles per hour on the big pitches. Uh, uh, Herman gives up a 93 mile per hour average exit velocity on his fastball and it was 86 in this game so just insanely weak contact but enough about that I'm not looking for the hate tweets I am looking at Dane Dunning who went eight and two thirds tonight and he is one of those just beautiful beasts that is completely contrary to his uh, savant page because you go and look at that savant page and it doesn't do anything for you it ain't do nothing for you it's all blue yet it's great numbers. Um, I don't know if this is updated, but 269 ERA, 1-1 one, one whip on the season. And then in this start tonight, he was able to put out, I mean, the whiff numbers are really never necessarily there, but he had four pitches of double-digit usage. Vila was actually down, 24% whiff rate. All of it was done on the slider, 37% CSW for Dane Dunning so far. And the guy hasn't had an over three and a half ERA this entire year. So he's he's just kind of like breaking expectations across the board. Three straight quality starts. He's given up three or less earned runs in four straight starts all this month. And on the season, he has only had two starts where he's given up uh, for actually, that's only one. I looked at the month. One start of four or more earned runs. Dane Dunning has just been efficient across the board, not big strikeouts. And I think he's a guy that we need to start looking at. And unfortunately, Frank, you're going to ask a very mean question that's going to get people riled up. So please ado, my friend. So Dane Dunning is 75% rostered and looks like he is also in line for two starts next week up against the Houston Astros and at the Washington Nationals. Welsh, who would you rather have? Dane Dunning or Domingo Herman for next week? You want to know an interesting thing? I don't think this is updated, but uh, Dane Dunning has an expected ERA almost double his full earned runs. <laughs> it's actually worse than uh, Domingo Herman. Now, after both of these performances, things will update here. Um, the K percentage is atrocious, 40, uh, 14%. But at the end of the day... Domingo Herman's stuff was really fun there. Uh, huge curveball usage. The strikeouts can kind of come and go, sticky stuff aside. But I don't see a lot of redeeming factors. I mean, outside of this game, the 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 five expected earned run average barrel percentage, over 10% he's giving up. Where a guy like Dane Dunning, it's actually the second lowest barrel percentage he's giving up of his career. And... I'm kind of a Dunning guy. You know, he's keeping the ball on the ground. He's not getting big strikeouts, but he's picking up wins. Maybe these guys aren't that far apart at the end of the day, but I mean, you want to talk about efficiency and getting through games and not getting blown up. If there's one thing Dane Dunning doesn't do, is he doesn't destroy you in any weird circumstance. He just kind of gets it going every single game. So I'm going to go with Dane Dunning on this, and I hate to do it coming off the perfect game. Is everybody in agreement? I, I would go with Armand. I'll, I'll just default to, I, I don't think either is particularly good. So I'll, I'll yeah. default to the guy who at least has some strikeout upside. Although, you know, obviously Dunning had 10 today. So there's individual start upside. But overall, I think he's got 40 strikeouts in about 60 innings since becoming a starter. I, I just, I, I would give the edge to Armand. But I, I think the likeliest outcome is we're telling everyone to drop them in two weeks anyway. Yeah, Yeah, I I think that's probably right. The answer is I don't really love either of these pitchers long term. Like there's going to be regression at some point for Dane Dunning. It's just a matter of 
when does it hit? This week we saw it hit for someone like Julio Tehran, which we knew it would happen eventually, just when. I kind of feel the same way about Dane Dunning. Crazy enough, uh, the matchups for him, Houston being one of them, it's actually the two better matchups. So I'm probably leaning with Dane Dunning. The answer, In a point, sure. If we can like just combine both of these pitchers, I think that they'd <laughs> probably become a really good one, like one that gets whiffs and one that gets ground balls and whatever, limits hard contact. But uh, yeah, I guess I'll lean with Dane Dunning, but not particularly interested in I either like, one for fantasy. I like the idea of that. Like maybe you get like the sinker of Dane Dunning with the curveball of Herman and you can just make like a really solid pitch. It's like the fantasy thing where everyone's like, well, I'll take the home run hitter, then I'll take the I'll take Luisa Rise, and then I'll take, you know, Kyle Schwarber and I'll just make a great player out of both of them. This is the pitcher version of that. Yeah, we could stick with the alliteration too and just go uh Domingo Dunning. That's what we're going with uh, for mm-hmm. next week. Towers, you're up. Oh my goodness gracious from Wednesday. Uh, Christian Javier, who there have been some red flags throughout the season that people have remarked upon, but the results for the most part had been very good. And then the last four starts, things have really gone off the rails for him. He has six strikeouts in his last four starts, if my numbers are correct. And I believe they are. He gave up six runs in four innings today. I don't know. I mean, that, that's not true. We we have some pretty good ideas of what's gone wrong for Christian Javier, and it starts with the fastball because the fastball, he's a high fastball usage pitcher, and he throws it 60% of the time, and it hasn't been nearly as effective as it was last season. The whiff rate, fairly similar, but the velocity down about 1.2 miles per hour. The spin rate down about 100 RPMs. The movement profile has changed. This is something that, uh, you know, Saris has talked about a lot, and, you know, the the – the angle that he throws the pitch at has changed. And the point is that he's still giving up a lot of fly balls. He's never going to get a lot of ground balls. That's not the type of pitcher he is. But the problem is he's traded fly balls for line drives this season. And that's not a good trade. Fly balls can turn into home runs, obviously. But generally speaking, when they don't, they're pretty productive pitches for uh, pitchers. And, That has not been the case for Christian Javier this season. His slider has also been much less effective. And that's a real problem when you have two pitches. Technically, he has four pitches, but he only throws two of them 90% of the time. So that's where things have gone wrong for Christian Javier. And I'm not 100% sure where what it looks like for him to turn it around because it's so clearly just that his fastball hasn't been as effective. The fact that the velocity is down, the spin rate, all that stuff, it could just be a mechanical tweak. You know, it could be something that they just have to, you know, raise his arm slot and that'll get the pitch back. But this is what we mean when we talk about pitchers who don't throw three pitches. It's not that they can't be good. It's that the margin for error is extremely slim. And now the margin for error, every pitcher is extremely slim. So pitchers are really tough to predict. But if you've got one elite pitch and you only throw two, you've got a really tough time. Christian Javier right now doesn't have any elite pitches. And so he doesn't look like a particularly great pitcher. 417 expected ERA for the season now. Something also to maybe consider, uh, and I think we've maybe talked about this before, but, you know, a two-pitch pitcher in the new environment, something most of us probably didn't give enough attention to in a non-shift 
quickly get your, you know, your pitch out. Everything's going faster. So many pitchers have talked about the disadvantage the pitch clock has been for them particularly. So you take two more disadvantages going against these guys. And then you take a guy that is 90 plus percent two pitches. You've just kind of like click the meter of uh, how small the margin for error is. Like it's so much more small and you know spencer strider has been the guy that has kind of bucked that trend but he's even had you know some issues in here it's like no two pitch pitcher really is truly safe and i don't know if it's something that you just ding primary two pitch pitchers in the future just blanket wise and you don't even look at necessarily the pitcher but you just knock them down a little bit of a notch or not probably going to take a couple years to look at that but definitely the new environment is not helping these guys one bit yeah, look, you guys basically hit on everything. I was going to highlight, you know, Javier hit the spin rate on his fastball is down over 100 RPM this year. The slider whiff rate is down nine percentage points. So you're right. He's gone from two elite pitches to no elite pitches. Now, I, I don't think it's impossible for him to get back on track. And we said this many times before for a pitcher, it can happen like that, it can a switch can just flip. Look at Blake Snell, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, or Dylan Cease, Reed Detmers. The way that those guys, we didn't really know if it was coming or when it would come, and they just did it. So it yeah. can happen that easily for Christian Javier. We just don't know when or if it's going to happen. Uh, I had him as part of a segment for later on, which for me is just tough players to rank right now. And I still have Christian Javier at SP20, that was before the start happened on Wednesday night. But I can realistically see dropping him down to 28 or 29. I mean, behind guys like Joe Musgrove and, and Tyler Glasnow. I mean, Glasnow's kind of had his issues too. But mm -hmm. it's like everybody else in that range, Nathan Avaldi has pitched well. Mitch Keller has I've, pitched very well. I've Both dropped him down to 30. And yeah. that's, you know, I've got him just behind Logan Gilbert, who has his own issues. Uh, exactly behind Blake Snell, obviously given the run he's on behind George Kirby. I've got him behind Tyler glass and Julio Arias, who's coming back this week, but that's kind of a no man's land at pitcher for me after yeah. that, where it's like, that's where, you know, we talk about the blob, right. And, and I feel like that's uh Javier's kind of part of the blob now where like, I think, in, in the overall rankings, he could be anywhere from, let me see, pitcher 31 is 120 in my overall rankings. Pitcher 45 is 166. So, like, there's not a lot. It wouldn't take very much for him to move very far in that range. Want to get back into uh, some waiver wire pitchers real quick. We spoke about Dane Dunning. We spoke about Domingo Herman, Kenta Maeda. Other name that is widely available. Uh, he was solid in Atlanta. It's not like he did anything amazing. Two runs allowed over five innings pitched. Did have 14 swinging strikes on 82 pitches. Velocity up uh, across the board there for Kent Maeda, so that's a good sign for him. He's allowed just two earned runs total in his first two starts back. He's 39% rostered. He looks like he only has one start uh, against the Royals next week. Welsh, what do you think about Kent Maeda? Maybe you take him over both Dane Dunning and Domingo Herman. Oh, that's actually a pretty interesting one. I mean, K percentage, K percentage to walk percentage, I think works really in favor here. It's not like an elite K percentage, but only 5% walk rate for Maeda so far. Uh, expected ERA, I think works pretty well in his favor. With the matchup, Oh, it's, so it's one start for Maeda against the Royals or two for Dunning against, who was it again? Houston and... At the Nationals. At the Nationals. 
I think I actually might take Dunning still in that. But Ma- Maeda, like singularly, I would take him. I, I I think this has been a pretty good run. I would go with Maeda over both of them. I guess the season long, I would go with him. All right. Do either of these names matter? Maybe more so for deeper leagues than anything else. Uh, Colby Allard pitched well in his spot start for the Braves up against the Minnesota Twins. And maybe he sticks around because the Braves sent down both Jared Schuster and A.J. smith Chauver recently. Colby Allard, four and two-thirds shutout with eight strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 71 pitches. Did change up his pitch mix a little bit here compared to what he was doing last year. And uh, Zach Davies, this is one of those you-can't-predict-baseball, Susan, type of things because Zach Davies, who, after seven shutout innings against one of the best teams in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, has a 6.54 ERA. So who could have predicted that? Towers, do either of these names matter? Colby Allard, Zach Davies. I don't think so. I mean, Colby Allard, his minor league numbers are still decent, but we've seen enough of him at the major league level. 232 career innings uh, where he's been pretty disastrous. So, no, I I don't think there's much there. Um, And same with Davies. Disastrous is the appropriate word for, for how his career has gone over the past couple of years as well. So, no, I don't think Kobe Allard or Zach Davies really matter. The one thing I'll say, if you play in a 15-team roto league or deeper, and you, I would guess, somebody out there has just like a dead roster spot, I might take a shot on Colby Allard just because he's pitching for a good team now and see where it goes, but he's not somebody I would want to throw in my lineup anytime soon. The one thing I would throw out there is it sounds like Mike Soroka is going to get another opportunity in the Braves rotation. Yep. Now, I don't know if that means Allard's gone, but... He was like a last minute call up from what I understand. He was like, I think he was actually confusingly in Minneapolis because they were the, their triple eight. The Gwinnett Braves were playing the St. Paul Saints and then flew to Atlanta to start. I think that was what happened. So like it was a very last minute thing. Did, did I just call hear you call him Mike Soroka? Towers? Is that what Michael you Soroka? Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Me, yeah, I was gonna I say that's some respect. On that's that. I was Michael I was more worried that I got the the Twins AAA affiliate wrong. I mean, yeah. did I did I? Is that correct? Have, Are they the St. Paul Saints? That it sounds right. So yeah. <laughs> I'll give I you a, confidence. I'll give you a partial credit there. But uh, right now on roster resource, it does have Allard in there and Mike Soroka. You know, getting a start on Friday. Michael, excuse me. Um, you know, maybe oh, Max Fried is back somewhere sometime after the All-Star break. So uh, whatever, we'll see. Anyway, the point is we're talking about Colby Allard for too long. Is that, <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, is that yes, cool? Yes, we are. All right, yeah. let's uh, take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about some waiver wire hitter decisions. Ellie De La Cruz's trade value. We'll do all of that right after this. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. 
So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. And a quick reminder to follow us on TikTok if you haven't already at FBT Pod. Uh, or if you just go on the TikTok TikTok app and just search FBT Pod. We take some clips from the full length podcast, from the five minute podcast. We cover it up with some highlights, some fun little anecdotes and, and short videos there. So if you do dabble on TikTok, follow us at FBT Pod. Let's talk about some waiver wire hitter decisions. And people are probably going to get tired of me talking about Ezekiel Duran. This is the third day in a row that I'm bringing his name up. But the guy just keeps on hitting. He went two for four with his 11th homer. And if you watch this homer, a frozen rope that just snuck over the wall 115.2 exit velocity, 349 feet. That's back-to-back games with a homer. And I'm thinking, maybe his roster rate isn't going up enough because we're not telling people who to drop, right? They might have someone on their team. They figure, ah, oh, I got to hold on to this player. So I'm going to ask you guys some questions. Would you drop Jared Kelnick for Ezekiel Duran? If you play in a three-outfielder league, you know, more of a shallower format, what do you think? Kelnick for Duran? Yes. Updated my rankings today. Ezekiel Duran is ahead of Jared Kelnick. Let's go. Because you know that Ezekiel Duran has had eight games straight with a, uh, not eight straight games, but in his last eight games where he has uh, registered a hit, he has not had less than two hits. Since the 17th, he has had two hits or more in every single game. He has been bonkers this is ezekiel duran on so many levels the roster flexibility the way he's hitting the ball the the baseline that he is providing you and the team has completely bought into him and you look at the multi-hit thing it is wild because june uh, june 18th he had four hits two zero two two zero two 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 and two he is an absolute hit machine who is right across the board on the baseball savant page everything's coming up uh ezekiel duran i'm a big fan and a lot of the expected underlying stuff as you guys have talked about have told the same story bye kelnick the batting average for duran by the way 322 with all those multiple hits uh, multiple hit games kind of stacking up recently a 919 ops on the year for duran towers two for you because i know that you like both of these players or have liked them in the past Giancarlo Stanton, who actually hit a home run on Wednesday, he's ice cold since coming back off the IL. And Seiya Suzuki, would you drop either or both for Ezekiel Duran? I would probably not do that, but I can certainly understand why you would want to. And I can't 
I can't say it's the wrong move with a lot of certainty is the way I would put it. I, I think Ezekiel Duran is one of the most under-rostered players in fantasy right now. Um, so I, I would hope I have players with less upside than Seiya Suzuki or Giancarlo Stanton, but I, I, I understand why you would want to do that. I think in a three outfielder league, especially if it's a points league, Stanton strikes out so much. I, I'd sure, probably be all right doing that. Suzuki, I, I don't know, man. I'm just a sucker for this guy. I look at his plate discipline. He still hits the mm-hmm. ball hard. I, I still feel like it's going to happen for him. So I wouldn't drop Suzuki, but uh, Stanton, Kelnick, I, I think I'd be all right dropping either of those for Ezekiel Duran. Henry Davis, he went two for four with his second stolen base. He added two RBI. He has played nine games with the Pirates. He's batting 303, one homer. Those two steals in 833 OPS early on. He's 68% rostered. Welsh, I'll throw this one your way. Somebody asked me on Twitter if they should drop Francisco Alvarez for Henry Davis. Assuming this is a one-catcher league, Alvarez has really, really cooled off. What do you think about that? Ooh, that's a good one, especially with that big power potential. Uh, I would be comfortable with it. I feel like people have been putting Alvarez in redraft as a must-keep on all formats because of where the power went. But I also think he's kind of showing you who he is. He's a streaky uh, bat overall, 216 average, 202 expected batting average. The thing I really like about Henry Davis, and this is something that kept him as a top 100 prospect for me for so long when people were getting out on him, was not just his ability to continuously hit, but the stolen bases, and he's doing that again. That's something I really, really love. Barrel percentage, just about the same as Alvarez currently. Uh, Hard hit numbers, they're lacking right now. There's just not enough data, but hey, 300 batting average, almost a 270 expected batting average, um, decent-ish walk rate, not a concerning strikeout rate, and I think he's going to kind of put everything across the board, five tools, and they're hitting him three. They're already putting him at three, which I think is a really key offensive spot. Another little anecdotal thing I just throw out there, Indy Rodriguez... I don't know how much this is going to mean anything. Andy Rodriguez was always one of the big fears. He was put on the Futures game roster on the infield. And I just wonder, oh, maybe there's not going to be well, some big weird thing to deal with those two as him being an infielder at the Futures game. That's the interesting thing is Henry Davis, has he caught at the major league level yet? I think he's only exclusively been playing the outfield. Yeah, he's yeah, played I think so. right field exclusively. So, like, if nothing else... If you're trying to find a, a tiebreaker at the catcher position between Henry Davis and someone you're thinking about dropping, Henry Davis is going to play a lot more than than most other catchers. So I, yeah. I think he's really valuable right now. And don't get me wrong, I still like Francisco Alvarez. He's still ranked inside my top 12 catchers. But look at his OPS by month this season. 494 in April, 1030 in May, 543 here in June. It wouldn't surprise me if we get to July and he has another big month. I think he's going to be one of those players where lots of strikeouts, but big power, and he's going to go through runs where he hits a bunch of home runs, but maybe not the most consistent. Little tough, too, as a righty when you're hitting 118 against lefties. That split doesn't work very well in his favor. That's going to get you benched, and that doesn't play well into split platoons or anything like that. So, yeah, Henry Davis, he's the catcher du jour uh, that you can go with in your uh, current month of uh, catcher streaming that I know people like to do. Let's talk corner infield decisions here. Josh Bell has had a disastrous first season with the Guardians. He went two for five with a double, and his eighth home run has played better in the month of June. He's 61% rostered. He's got seven home games next week. The other two names I was comparing him to, 
Carlos Santana went two for four with his eighth homer. Also having a solid June, he's got five home runs in the month. Garrett Cooper went one for three with his 10th homer, and looks like he is uh, heating back up here as well. Actually, all three of these names have seven games next week. Welsh, do you have a strong preference here? Josh Bell, Santana, Garrett Cooper. It's kind of like the, I don't know, boring, high-floor veteran crew, I guess you could say. I guess I would probably, my instant reaction was to go with Garrett Cooper. Uh, I don't have a great feel for any one of these guys. I mean, the Guardians offense just in general stink, so I don't really line to Josh Bell, even though he's the most rostered. Uh, Carlos Santana, I guess I tend to shy away from, though he has been pretty decent. But Garrett Cooper, I think, is the guy that I lean to the least owned, so that would be the pick I go with, I suppose. But I don't like either of them. I don't like any either of the three. Let's talk about two <laughs> outfielders here. Probably looking at these guys in five outfielder leagues, and I don't know why people continue to try and like poke the bear that is Tommy Pham. Like, haven't we learned by now? It's like Jock Peterson messing with Tommy Pham. You get smacked up in your fantasy football league, and it's like Twitter drama with Tommy Pham. What does he do? He goes out, he gets angry, three for three with a sock and a shoe. His eighth home run, his ninth steal of the season. The expected stats are off the charts. Charts, the quality of contact has been amazing for Tommy Pham this year. Still only 21% rostered. The other name is TJ Friedel, who he's such a tough player to evaluate because like his quality of contact is so bad. He's the complete opposite, but he's playing so well for the Cincinnati Reds. Three for five with a home run and two steals, a sock and two shoes. He is up to his sixth home run. 14 steals now. He leads the Cincinnati Reds. He's batting 320 in 886 OPS, 44% rostered. Towers, we're looking at five outfielder leagues here. Tommy Pham or TJ Friedel, who are you leading? I looked up something. Uh, so I, as you guys did, I looked at Tommy Pham's Twitter page today when he yelled at a fantasy baseball analyst. It was very funny. Out of, um, which, too, by the way, just out of pocket, out of nowhere, it was like he definitely put someone in his place, and we were, everyone was like, whoa. It, whoa, it was Tommy Pham. Yeah, it was a weird thing. Uh, either way, his previous tweet to that was from April 3rd, and he was talking about um, somebody asked him about the vision problem that he has, which is known as Keratoconus, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. And apparently he's using new uh, contact lenses, like a new type of technology for because his he said, I have great visual acuity, but don't play well with scalarols, which is apparently a type of contact lens. Uh, but he's using a new type. This was something that some Mets beat writers talked about uh, at the beginning of the season as well. And Tommy Pham has famously struggled with his eyesight throughout his career. It was a big issue for him back when he was in St. Louis. He would go through these stretches where he just couldn't see. Um, and so maybe there's something there. You know, he is putting up the best expected numbers of his career. He's always put up very good ones, but, you know, he's taking it to another level lately. And uh, he's pretty much playing every day now. So, yeah, I think Tommy Pham's the way to go here. All right, any thoughts on T.J. Friedel? Well, I'll throw it your way. It feels like every time we talk up T.J. Friedel, we're just like, eh, you know, he doesn't play every day and doesn't hit the ball hard, but he's just doing it. He's doing all the things. I kind of like T.J. Friedel in this one a little bit. There, there's also a part of hearing um, Cohen talk about, like, you know, if the team is not where they need to be, you're going to trade pieces. Well, Tommy Pham would be instantly someone you get out of yeah. here, and what does that end up doing? Um 
you know, I mean, I got this sign behind me. If anyone has noticed my CES, please sign back here. You know, if he comes up, he does potentially alter something, especially if they did decide to work him in a corner outfield spot or the DH is gone and that just muddies everything. So then you could get back to being frustrated about what the playing time is. But yeah, he's odd because he's the anti uh, Tommy fam from the baseball savant page. It looks bad. It's just pretty horrid. He doesn't strike out and stuff, but everything else is not great. Expected batting average is over 50 points lower than where he is. It's bad, hard hit. But at the same time, it's almost a 10% walk rate, an under 20% K rate. The guy steals like crazy. It's a good ballpark environment. I kind of think there's maybe a little bit more staying power with TJ Friedel, but if Tommy Fan keeps going at this rate, which by the way, he has increased his batting average every month, his OPS, his OBP, everything has increased as he's gone on the year. He's getting better. If he keeps going at this rate, it's going to be completely wrong because Tommy Fan's going to be a 2020 guy. There's just something about TJ Friedel with me that I feel like he can pull a 1530 out of his hat in Cincinnati if he still gets that playing time. So, you know, baseball savant. Uh, or not, I kind of, kind of, tiny bit want TJ Friedel in here, but, it, you know, the answer's probably Tommy Pham. Hey, that's why we asked the questions, right? I'll break the tie. It, it is really close. I'll go with the player that is not only producing, but has the underlying number numbers to support him as well. So I'll lean with Tommy Pham, but I think both of these guys should be rostered in five outfielder leagues. So if you play in a 10 or 12-team roto, I think both of these outfielders should be rostered in those formats. A quick update on Jordan Westberg. He has been playing very well so far. His first three games, he went two for five with a double, a run, and an RBI here on Wednesday. And uh, so far, again, in those three games, five hits, two runs, two RBI. He's 53% rostered. He's got seven road games next week, four coming in Yankee Stadium. So that can't hurt either. Well, so I just wanted to get your general thoughts. We haven't had you on since Jordan Westberg got called up. 53% rostered. Is this a guy that needs to be rostered in all formats, even like 10-team points leagues? Is he is he that type of prospect, that, that type of impact player? He's not quite that. Uh, I mean, hey, snapshot, I'll take Matt McClain over Jordan Westberg uh, Twitter. I will also go with that with the rest of the crew here. But I do think Jordan Westberg is someone that I am trying to facilitate on my roster in most cases because he has great bat to ball skills. You guys are seeing that. It's only like a couple games, of course, but you know, 70% hard hit rate. He's hitting 98 on average against fastballs right now. He also, you could just kind of see in the at-bats, he's able to get inside. No one's able to cheat on him or get him inside. He's turning on balls. He's pushing them opposite field. He just makes really great contact. And the guy was near the league lead in the minors in homers. He doesn't steal a whole bunch, but he is going to provide a big bat at second base. So, yes, in almost every instance, I would try to go and roster Jordan Westberg um, at the expense of probably some named players that you guys might even disagree with, but not at Matt McClain, which was the, the Twitter conversation. I will clearly take Matt McClain because you would you would jump for joy if Jordan Westberg became Matt it, McClain yeah, it's, and it's, it would be without the stolen bases. Yeah, it'd be one thing if Westberg had been like dramatically better in the minors than uh, McClain or was younger. But given that Westberg's 40 games behind McClain, you just take the guy who's already doing it. I think yeah. Westberg versus Royce Lewis is a really good question for redraft. Sure. I don't know if you guys have a strong feel either way. I'm uh, more confident in Royce Lewis's bat, but I could I could see the playing time concerns about Lewis l- leaning towards Westberg's. So uh, this comes yeah. also down to I think like categories you're chasing. I actually am a little bit more confident 
in Jordan Westberg's bat, but he doesn't steal. Royce Lewis doesn't walk, which I don't like, and I think that's going to limit him. Um, Jordan Westberg has not struck out, and he's got a 20%. Again, it's only a couple games, but like he's, he's walking. He's not striking out. I think the floor offensively is better for Westberg, except there's more stolen bases with Royce Lewis. And uh, you could look at playing time issues maybe across both of these players, but I guess I'm talking myself into Westberg, but this is a tough one. I would have a hard time dropping Royce Lewis for him, and that's what everybody is always asking. They're always asking these ridiculously tough, like, would yeah. you drop this awesome prospect that you I you know spent all this money on to get this other one? It's like, eh, I'd rather drop something else. I'd rather do something else, but <laughs> yeah. I get it. But yeah, I think by a hair, rest of season, maybe a reactionary, I would actually go Westberg over Royce Lewis if I'm not chasing stolen bases. It is super close. Uh, I think I would stick with Royce Lewis, or if they're just both available, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I would add, add Royce Lewis over Jordan Westberg, but I'm also the person who uh, very adamantly said that I would take Royce Lewis over Matt McClain when he got called up, and uh, that hasn't worked out. So do with that what you will. Last point on Jordan Westberg. He has played three games. He started at second base for two of them, and he started at third base on Wednesday, and he already has shortstop eligibility on CBS, so could turn into one of these guys where you can move him all over your team, second base, third base, shortstop for fantasy. Let's hit some news and notes before we take our final break, and Aaron Judge was spotted playing catch before Wednesday's game. Not much, but uh, his first Baseball activity, step in the right direction. We'll see where it goes from here. Jordan Alvarez hit off a tee and took soft toss on Wednesday. There's no exact timetable yet for his return to the Astros. He's been out since early June with a right oblique strain. Yu Darvish might be pushed back once again in the Padres rotation as he continues to battle illness. Brian Reynolds said he's aiming to be activated off the IL on Friday. Clayton Kershaw is expected to make his next start after leaving his start early on Tuesday when asked uh, why Kershaw left that start. He said, quote, didn't feel great overall. Just needed to come out right there. I don't like know. Towers. Yeah. Didn't feel good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I what mean, that look, means. that's him and I are about the same age. I, I get that. I can feel that. <laughs> you know, he's dealt with some back stuff. So that's like where my mind goes immediately. But. I hope he's all right because he's pitched really well this year. Shohei Otani is expected to make his next pitching start despite dealing with a cracked fingernail. Ryan Helsley was cleared to begin a throwing program. He's been out since June 12th with a forearm strain, and I will remain consistent in that I think Jordan Hicks is just going to run away with this job. Even if Ryan Helsley comes back, I think it's Jordan Hicks's job to lose. Salvador Perez was back in the lineup Wednesday after undergoing a procedure on his eye earlier this week. Chris Sale will undergo an MRI on his left shoulder Thursday. He's on the 60-day IL and is not eligible to return until early August. Kid Brian Hayes was placed in the IL with lower back stiffness, retroactive to June 25th. Michael Soroka could be called up to start Friday against the Marlins. He's 35% rostered. Towers, any interest in Soroka who has pitched well since going back down to the minors? Yeah, that's what I was going to look up because it was a pretty rough start to the minor league rehab assignment and then obviously he didn't pitch super well at the major league level i'm i'm rooting for him i think it's very unlikely we see much of michael soroka making an impact at the major league level uh so no i i, I would probably have to see it first in three starts since getting sent down a 142 era a 0.79 whip with 18 strikeouts over 19 innings pitched 
for what it's worth, if you wanted the numbers. Dustin May played catch on Wednesday, his first time throwing since going on the IL on May 18th. He's been out with a right forearm strain and remains without a timetable. Jose Quintana will make another rehab start Friday at AAA, and if that outing goes well, he could be cleared to make his Mets debut sometime next week. Welsh, uh, Jose Quintana, 12% rostered. Any interest, I would guess, in deeper leagues? Deeper league. This is not a guy that I'm trying to stream. It's a purely, purely matchup-based. If I was chasing, this isn't someone I like to start a week with, so I would say no, not for me. Fair enough. Michael Conforto left Wednesday's game with left hamstring tightness, and you know the Welsh is on here. We had to get a Brandon Fott update. It'll be a Brandon Fott Thursday. He is confirmed to start against the Tampa Bay Rays. Not sure how that's going to go. Obviously, it's a pretty tough matchup. In five starts since getting sent back down to the minors, Fott had a 3-1-6 ERA, a 1.05 whip, 28 strikeouts to five walks, so the ratio is great. The problem he still allowed five home runs and five starts. That's 1.75 home run per nine. Not going to get it done, especially he's doing that in the minors. What's going to happen when he comes back to the majors? Welsh, uh, Brandon fought 25% rostered. Any league format or size that you're looking to pick him up in? Ooh, you're trying to bait me. You're trying to bait me on this show and get people all worked up about me and Brandon fought. No Brandon fought sign back here, though. I did think of it. Here's what I would do. I would pick up Brandon Fott and I'd slap him on my bench because I would like to see what's going on with it. He was a lot. He was way more effective in the minors. Uh, the fastball looked like he was hitting his spots. I do wonder sometimes if there's just confidence issues. Um, I heard a couple of interesting interviews uh, after one of the last few starts on him really talking with his catchers in ways that they were going to attack on game plans. And he's, his command seems to be better. He seems to be more confident. It is all going to be about getting swing and whiffs on that sweeper. It's the most important thing, but he's got to be able to let it look like it's coming in the zone and he has to command the fastball. The problem is this Rays team is totally a team that will just sit and wait and let him throw non-strike sweepers all day long and just destroy his fastball. But the pedigree is still there, even though it looked so bad when he was up. The best advice I can give is you got to see him do it before he gets going. If I had the ability, that's why I kind of like to pick him up put him on the bench just in case it does start working out because Kyle Davies, as good as this start was, he's on the chopping block. Tommy Henry, chopping block. There is a theoretical rotation spot sitting out there for a guy like Brandon Fott, but he has to be consistent. So this is a really important time to see what those changes are taking place. And I'd love to just kind of have him, but there's no chance in hell I'm starting him. <laughs> I think no. it's good advice too. It's just, if you have an, a dead roster spot, it doesn't matter who you drop, pick him up before the start against Tampa Bay, because let's say he does go out and throws a quality start, six, seven strikeouts, then, you know, everyone might be trying to clamor and pick him up or spend fab on him. So if you have the ability, pick him up before this start happens on Thursday. And if it goes well, then who knows? Maybe uh, you might have a little breakout pitcher for the second half. Let's take our final break. And when we return, Ellie De La, Clu uh, De La Cruz's trade value, some other players that are tough to rank. We'll do that right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, and a big thanks to everyone watching us live. Over 500 people here hanging out. It's well past 1 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, so we do appreciate you being here. Hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Ellie De La Cruz's trade value. It's been a hot topic on fantasy baseball Twitter. So let's kind of break it down. What did he do on Wednesday? He went two for six with a run in RBI and his ninth stolen base. He's betting 301 with an 874 OPS. The warning signs in the profile right now, a 32% strikeout rate, a 63% ground ball rate. The expected numbers look terrible. I don't know how much stock I want to put into that. It's obviously been a small sample size. And when he hits the ball, he, he does hit the ball really, really hard. Towers, we'll start with you. I've heard, I've seen some things about people rating Ellie De La Cruz as a top five player in fantasy baseball the rest of the season. A first round pick. And when I hear something like that, it makes me think, well, if, if there's people out there that really think that, then you can sell high on Ellie De La Cruz in redraft leagues and get back somebody who has a much more extensive track record, what would you do? I think Ellie De La Cruz is probably the hardest player to value in fantasy right now because you can't give him, you can't trade him for what his likely future value is going to be. And then this is, I, I, I emphasize likely future value because the likeliest outcome for Ellie De La Cruz is probably... Jazz Chisholm? I don't know if that's too high or too low, but like... You went right into that. <laughs> volatile. So, yeah. I, <laughs> volatile, uh, but volatile batting average, power, speed, probably more speed from Ellie. Um, but like the likeliest outcome the rest of this season is that he is something less than a super duper elite fantasy player. What that means is in my updated trade values, which will be out on Thursday, I have him ranked, I believe it's 39th overall in Roto. In head-to-head -head points, I actually think he's an obvious sell-high candidate because just how much hype and, and uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, hype is around him. He's unlikely to live up to that in a head-to-head points league just because of the strikeouts. It's just going to be really hard for him to do that. But... In a Roto League, there is a path to legitimate five-category contributions. However, he has 21 plate appearances against lefties so far this season. He has nine strikeouts with three hits. So that's a big red flag. The 32% strikeout rate, a relatively big flag. The 63% ground ball rate, relatively big flag. Big red flag. None of those things are for sure going to main, remain big flags, and... The strikeout rate was down to like 26% four days ago. So it's, 
It just depends on what you can get for him. If someone's willing to give you a top 20 player, I think you move Ellie De La Cruz. I have him ranked 39th overall. I have Luis Robert 36th. If I have Ellie De La Cruz and someone offers me Luis Robert, even though I have Luis Robert ranked ahead, I'm probably just saying no on that, right? Like it's not enough of a win for me to give up on the potential that Ellie De La Cruz has. If someone offers me Marcus Simeon for Ellie De La Cruz, I'm definitely doing that because Marcus Simeon has a higher floor and a similar ceiling, maybe not quite as high. If someone offers me Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I'm probably doing that. That one's a little tougher just because Ellie does have the the power and speed combination, but I do think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be a borderline elite hitter moving forward. So it's all to say that it just depends on what you're what you're getting back from him. If you're not getting a top 20 player, you probably can't move him. But not trading Ellie De La Cruz carries its own risk. There's risk either way because it's possible that he slows down and is more like O'Neill Cruz was last year. A useful player, a good player, a player who's going to be very, very exciting moving forward, but a player with obvious limitations in his skill set. So it's it it depends. And this is what makes fantasy so fun. It may, it's what makes it so tough. It's there are many different directions that this Ellie De La Cruz situation uh, can go. Again, he could he could take off. He can turn out to be a first round pick for next season. He could just kind of be middle of the pack, whatever. Just chug along, give you some speed, but the strikeouts are kind of an issue. He could, you know, maybe the strikeouts really become a problem, and he just kind of falls flat on his face. I think that's within the range of outcomes as well. We just don't know, and that's what makes it you know, pretty fun to evaluate and talk about in a situation like this. I mostly agree. So I have Ellie De La Cruz ranked just behind Manny Machado in my third base rankings, just behind Francisco Lindor. Machado's a really tough one. And like you said, to me, it's not, I don't think it's a big enough upgrade getting a guy like Lindor or Machado. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would take that. But if someone's like, hey, I'll give you Bo Bichette or Bobby Witt Jr. Or something like that. See, Bobby Witt's a tough one. Uh, I would do it. That's a tough one because Bobby Witt is starting to transition away from the phase that Ellie De La Cruz is in, where he's starting to transition into a concrete player who you stop dreaming on. And that's not fair. Bobby Witt is, what, 23 years old. He's still super talented. But we're getting close to 1,000 plate appearances into his career, right? It's, It's not to say he is who he is, but it's to say that there's less projecting. Whereas I mean, how you're saying Cruz, that, how you're saying, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but how you're saying that is like he isn't have he doesn't have 12 homers and 23 stolen bases though. That's well, pretty yeah, impressive. Well, right. Like that's yeah, that's it, it's underselling him a bit, and it, it's yeah. sort of a to a certain extent, it could be an Ellie De La Cruz, could be anything. He could even be Bobby Witt thing. But <laughs> yeah, 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 that's Bobby where Witt I was making feels, the, and this I, I I will admit this is a feels thing, right? This is not a a numbers thing, Bobby Witt, what Bobby Witt has done so far in his MLB career feels like a median expectation for Ellie De La Cruz. And maybe that's overemphasized, but maybe that's giving Ellie De La Cruz more credit than he deserves. Maybe I'm falling for the hype beast a little bit too much. I'm just trying to get it, make it so that people in the comments stop yelling at me. <laughs> They're um, never going to stop. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, 
that's how that feels. Like, I think I would do Bobby Witt for uh, Ellie De La Cruz, but I wouldn't feel outstanding about it. I would do it. And with that, Welsh, your thoughts. Where do you kind of fall on the Ellie De La Cruz redraft value? Because I know uh, you can hit on this too if you want. I mean, from a dynasty asset perspective, I'm sure Ellie is probably treated as like a top 10, top five player moving forward. He's the number one prospect in my mind. I mean, uh, our buddy uh, Joe Rico had this tweet out, and it's funny because it was like, these are the guys I would only trade Ellie for. And I don't agree because it was redraft. But those names, it's like, that's kind of the short list of what you would do in Dynasty, those names, outside of Marcus Simeon. But it was like, you know, Carol and Tatis and stuff like that. Like, this is not only the asset that we know, but the asset of who he could be. Ellie has the value of a top 12 uh, fantasy player in Dynasty. But redraft... I mean, I was one of the first to kind of start this up to say, hey, listen, people are going nuts on Elliot Cruz for all the right reasons. I came on here and what I say, I was like, he's a top seven shortstop rest of season. I love him. But when we start talking about people wanting to move, you know, Spencer Strider and you're starting to talk about Juan Soto, you should listen to the hype because there are, yes, worrisome trends. But I also think in a rookie year, he's going to be a streaky player. He's hitting 130 against lefties. That's not good. He has a 62% ground ball rate. That's not good on top of all the things you've talked about. And I know this is kind of a cheap comp, but I went back and looked because one of the closest players we can comp him to is O'Neill Cruz. And O'Neill Cruz in his first year went through plenty of the bumps that you guys know about. He had, it took him three months to get his ground ball rate to get under 50%. His strikeout rate was over 30% the first few months. The month that we lot and we're like, oh my God, O'Neill Cruz, top two round player. He did 29% K rate. So mm -hmm. there are there are similarities that are not necessarily fair. I agree, Ellie De La Cruz is an incredibly elite player. Watched him for a long time. Skill sets I want to bet on. But when people want to overpay, I'm going to listen when a guy has a 60% ground ball rate and has uh, an XBA much lower and has a 30% K rate and is hitting 170, 130 against left. Like Those are things I'm going to listen to when I can get a top 20 player. So I do think you should listen to that. But I'm still coming on here and saying, yeah, he's massively valuable. The, the rest of season projections on the bat X end up making him, I, I've jokingly said this, it turns him into what Corbin Carroll already has done. From this point in the season, the projections are like, you know, 16, 17 homers more and maybe 20 more stolen bases, which is great. And he'll be a huge fantasy asset, but he's not where Corbin Carroll and, is. And, and there's volatility. And that's the, the, the key point. There's two points I want to make before we move on. One, ranking him 39th or 40th or 50th, wherever, that's still giving him more credit than any projection system will. Absolutely. So what we're talking about is wide error bars and the likeliest outcome is he's probably more like the hundredth best player the rest of the way or the 70th best player the rest of the way. But, and this gets to the other point, it's fun to be able to dream and it's fun yeah. to have a player like Ali De La Cruz on your team. And if he hits this more so than any other player in his range in the, in the trade values, if he hits his 90th percentile outcome the rest of the way, You've got a really good chance of winning. doing. I don't know, want to say win your league. I was going to say winning your better. league. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I think that's possible. Yes. Like I, I've got him right next to Manny Machado, who I, I think is awesome, high upside player. But 
maybe that's the wrong. I don't know. I wouldn't trade. I, I would not trade Ellie yeah. De La Cruz to get Manny Machado. I would yes. not do that trade. But and, if I had Manny Machado, I'm not sure I would give him up to get Ellie De La Cruz. <laughs> it's close. That's, that's the heart. That it's it's yes. It's it's one where it's like the head versus the brain kind of thing, and you know the the smart thing to do may not be. And then look, the playing projections. That's how you win seventh place in your league. You know, you need Ellie De La Cruz hitting his 90th percentile outcome to win your league, right? Like, that's just how this game works. And so there might be value in buying. Maybe this is buying low on Ellie De La Cruz. You know, it's also possible that he's just a top 20 player the rest of the way. And this is the lowest his value is going to be the re- for the next decade. People could have made the same arguments about Corbin Carroll to trade, uh, though sure. he had all the baseline things that worked in his favor outside of three weeks of not walking. But at the end of the day, what I would just say, which agree with all the people that get mad about it, it's not fun to trade Ellie De La Cruz, yeah, of course, exactly. in fantasy. Yeah. Sometimes you want to have fun. Sometimes you want to be the guy that got the guy that off the wire that ended up being top 15. Cool. But the analyst side, the safe play says, hey, there's some stuff that doesn't work out here. And if you can get a top 25 overall player, you should probably listen without being screamed at. Let's put a bow on this conversation. I, I, we got an email that I thought was really interesting from a listener named Bodie. And uh, he's looking to stash a minor league player in a keeper league. And he asked, who is next year's Ellie De-, De La Cruz? And Ooh. I know we get into trouble every year. Who is this year's blank? Who is this year's blank? I highly doubt that there are any six foot five freak athletes in the minors that are going to come up and hit the ball 120 miles per hour. But Welsh, well. what I would like to ask you is who is an exciting toolsy prospect who could potentially gain a lot of hype by next season and be a contributor for fantasy baseball. That's how I would like to frame the question. Okay, well, there actually is a guy that jumped to my mind that has a physical attribute similar to Ellie, if you wanted to, and he's in double A. He used to be a Padre. His name is James yep, Wood. That's exactly. I'm literally looking at his yep. baseball reference page right now. James Wood, uh, I've seen since he was younger, huge hard, huge hard hit numbers, 12 homers, 13 stolen bases this year, a 269 average. He hit thir- uh, 313 last year, 12 homers, 20 mm-hmm. stolen bases. Cape issues are not as big. He's the best physical body comp that I could give that has some of those same like, oh, my God, he just hit 117 and he just stole two bases and hit a homer. That's probably that guy, though. I think there are bigger warts with James Wood than there are with Ellie just in uh, getting up to game speed and stuff. But as far as like if you're looking, you know, from a hype perspective, I actually think the hype perspective might be uh, the Jacksons, Jackson Holiday and Jackson Churio. Those are the two big guys. Jackson Holiday's going to finish this year at double A, which is insane. Mm-hmm. And that puts him on target to be someone that the Orioles can consider next year. They just got so many awesome guys. That kind of puts a wrinkle in it. They got Westberg and all that. So that would be the guy that I think would create this type of buzz. It would be Jackson Holiday. Jackson Churio will be up next year. And I actually think Jackson Churio is the best player to name in this because he's going to put up big, hard hit stuff. He actually has some strikeout issues that he might just overcome early on and gets people excited. The only other one I'm going to throw at you, and these are kind of in the same general vicinity, is Junior Caminero. But the Rays really have held down players a bunch and he just hit double a i think he finishes double a the rest of the year i they just don't like to push it so he'd be at the bottom of the list so again you want the physical it's james wood you want the hype it's jackson holiday and he might be the best of all of them but jackson churio i think might represent 
everything that we're going through. And if you ask me, who do I want out of all these guys? I want Jackson Holiday of those players. All right. Well, let's wrap up with a few leftovers here. Obviously, we're not going to get to the uh, tough players to rank. I thought the Ellie De La Cruz conversation was well worth it and obviously a fun one to have. Uh, but we'll do the players to rank tomorrow. Uh, it's a little bit of a smaller slate there on Thursday afternoon. Just two pitchers I wanted to highlight here. You know, it was a pitching duel. You know what that means. It's time to Welsh, were you a Yu-Gi-Oh guy at any point in your life? No, I don't. Uh, I don't even understand Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon. I feel bad because gosh. I'm a total nerd. It's just the only nerd thing I didn't go with. It's fine. It's fine. We'll uh, we'll allow it for now. But you got to do your homework now. Uh, I'll do it. There was a pitching duel that I just wanted to highlight both of these guys. Obviously, it's very late in the podcast. So for the Blake Snell fantasy managers out there and the Mitch Keller fantasy managers, I do apologize. But uh, Snell. It's, what, four straight double-digit strikeout starts in a row. Six innings, two runs allowed, 10 strikeouts with 20 swinging strikes on 102 pitches at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Obviously, it's a pretty good matchup there for him. On the other side, Mitch Keller actually outdueled Blake Snell. Six innings of one-run ball, five strikeouts for him, just three swinging strikes. That's now, I know Mitch Keller is not a big whiff guy, but that is five straight starts with single-digit swinging strikes for Mitch Keller. So something that stood out there for me. Towers, any thoughts on... Uh, well, here you go. Uh, Welsh, any thoughts on uh, Blake <laughs> Snell and uh, Mitch Keller in you know two great starts here? I'm a sucker for my guy, Blake Snell. I'll let Towers uh, comment on it, but I'm always a sucker for my boy, Blake Snell. Love seeing him succeed. The changeup, despite all of fantasy baseball not wanting it to happen, is happening. And it, I think it's hard to ignore his success with a um, kind of a depreciating offense, I suppose, with the Padres that just has to pick it back up. He has been one of the low, you know, uh, him and Tatis have been the big bright spots there. I'm I'm all for Snell being able to maintain this. I, I wanted to buy him early on. On. It's impossible to buy him now, but Towers, do you feel negative about Keller or Snell right now? Uh, no, no. I, I am still on the Blake Snell's a random number generator, and there will be bad starts along the way, and you just ride it and don't try to, don't buy, don't sell, just ride it. Mitch Keller, the the lack of swinging strikes is like the case against him being a top twelve pitcher. I guess, but I don't really think that's a case against him, right? Like if he's just the 25th best pitcher in fantasy or whatever it is, cause he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. I think that's perfectly fine. I'm not too worried about it because he has become very, very good at limiting hard contact. You saw that in this game, three hard hits allowed 85.2 mile per hour average exit velocity over the last couple of seasons that was something that he's really worked on and gotten better at is is limiting quality of contact and you know now that's a a real strength in his game so i think even with the strikeouts you know he's probably more like an average strikeout guy uh i think he's still going to be pretty good moving forward all right the call to the bullpen a few updates here for the braves rysel iglesias struck out two for his 13th save for the nationals hunter harvey Struck out two for his sixth save, and he's only 14% rostered. Certainly looks like the go-to guy for the Nationals. So if you are looking for saves in a deeper league, Hunter Harvey could be out there. For the Brewers, Devin Williams picked up his 15th. For the Astros, Ryan Presley also picked up his 15th. For the Cardinals, Giovanni Gallegos. This guy could do no right this year. I feel so bad. 
He got the eighth inning with a two-run lead. He gave up five runs on two homers, further entrenching Jordan Hicks in that job, in my opinion. For the Marlins, A.J. Puck got the final two outs for his 12th save. For the Rays, Pete Fairbanks walked one but picked up his ninth save. And for your Arizona Diamondbacks, only because the Welsh is on, Scott McGuff, he got the ninth inning with a two-run lead. What did he do? He gave up three runs on four hits. He took his fourth blown save and his sixth sixth loss of the season. He'd been pitching so well for so long, but he knew the Welsh was going to be on the podcast, and so he yeah. was like, I've got to cause some kind of drama. Well, it was redemption. It was just redemption because I got I got flack about last week not acknowledging how insane he was in June and just flippantly being like, listen, I've watched all these games. I can tell you it's not going to go. He had been amazing. Someone hit me up about it. And then uh, perfect, perfect. He goes and gives up the three and runs back, back to the rotation we will. He'll get another shot. But like I said, Castro, Chafin, McGuff, it's all turning. It was just a little redemption for your boy, the Welsh. The way that the Diamondbacks are playing, though, right now, the real answer is their saves leader for the rest of the season probably isn't on their roster yet. 100%. So, I would I imagine. I completely yeah, agree. They're going to probably make a move at some point. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, and we'll start with Thursday. And looking up and down the list, who did we mention yesterday? I think it was Clark Schmidt at the Oakland A's. Sell the team. Feel better about that one already. <laughs> uh, Kyle Hendricks versus the Phillies is okay. There are a handful today that I like, except for their matchups. Like Reese Olsen at Texas, I can't yeah. do it. Could uh, you be a masochist and go Sheehan at Colorado? Yeah, like Sheehan at Colorado, I could see it going well, but I can't bring myself to start him. Uh, the one I like. No, nah, I wouldn't do it either. And Brandon Fott against Tampa Bay, same thing. So, yeah, yeah I, uh, I, I want to keep an eye on all those guys, but if I'm actually streaming, it's probably Clark Schmidt. Say and it. Say it. Kyle Hendricks. Say it. Yeah, maybe Kyle <laughs> Hendricks, maybe JP France, but I don't love any of them. All right. On Friday, who do we have here? Uh, well, similar situation. Griffin Canning is pitching well, but that Diamondbacks offense is yeah. pretty scary. So, is Hogan Harris actually starting? I saw they used an opener, which makes it a little tougher to use the to trust at least in a points league for streaming because he wouldn't have a quality start uh it says that he's starting but i usually use espn for the matchups and they're kind of liberal let me, let me with make they sure post. these are yeah. bad these are bad i don't want any of these i, I really I, I truly don't want to i wouldn't want to mess in and try to eat whether token harris griffin canning i mean canning might be the best but that was like you said the diamondbacks offense no thanks libertor with the game i just I wouldn't want to go anywhere near any of these players right now. If, yeah, Hogan Harris has been used as they've used an opener twice in his last six appearances. So stream this weekend. Yeah. If I Don't have to choose one. three, which again, I'm just going to tell you, you should not start these players. Griffin Canning versus the D-backs, Josiah Gray at the Phillies, and Dean Kramer versus the Twins. We are going to wrap there for the Chris's. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.